Welcome to the Board Game Community Show. I'm your host, Riley Stock, and today we've got Laurie from Stop, Drop, and Roll. How are you doing? Hi, Riley. I'm uh, doing pretty well, thanks today, yeah. Good. Thanks so much for coming on. You're welcome. Well, let's just dive right in. What got you into board gaming? Well, I've been... I've been involved in board gaming and such since I was really young. My my father introduced it to me back when I was, well, I mean, God, maybe eight, something like that. Um, we used to play Steve Jackson games, Warlock of Fire, Top Mountain, um, and uh, Hero Quest, stuff like that. Just you know, we I have pretty much lived and breathed sort of board games ever since. So, That's awesome. yeah, I mean, it's. It's one of those weird things where arguably I've probably played more old games from like the 80s and 90s than I've actually played from modern times, which is really weird and completely (laughs) off of what most people's experience is. Um, But it's meant that like I've got a sort of all the various ideas and such that I have are built on like years of gradual evolution of what board gaming is you know i've seen the whole journey from it being a very very niche thing to exploding across kickstarter and all the rest of that and i think seeing it explode like that made me realize that like well you know if if they can do it then all you need is the right group of people and we can do it too so, yeah, when I got my, my team together with SDR, with Ree and Rob and Jasper, yeah, it was, it was time to hit it. Oh, that is awesome. How did you all, all, uh, how did you all meet? <laughs> uh, well, Rob is a friend of a friend, um, and it was one of those things of, like, we, um, you know, we, we hit it off pretty well as it was, um, and then he happened to mention that he was really into board games of pretty much the same sort of time period. Like, he grew up on sort of... Um, uh, there was an old, um, uh, I think it's Fury Road, something along those lines, where it was like a game where you'd place boards so that you had an endless track and you had Mad Max cars that blew each other up and all this sort of thing. Um, and also Hero Quest and all that sort of thing. So we were really bonding over it. And then we were joint friends with another friend of mine, Stuart Lawrence, who had a game he was making as well called Pugs and Mugs. And we were talking about how much, you know, he really wanted to release it. I wanted to release my own games. And my games tend to be a bit bigger. You know, they're kind of more uh, large in scope and scale. Um, and so as a result, it was like, well, maybe we could maybe we could run with Pugs and Mugs. Rob is a phenomenal illustrator and cartoonist. And uh, I want to start a board game company. So, hell, let's, let's all team up and release Pugs and Mugs and make it happen. And naturally, that was the exact moment that the world decided to be hit by a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, oh, you want to do something fun? Okay, cool. How about you do it on hard mode? <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the industry. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But we figured like hard is only like it's, it's not hard if you don't know what it's like, if it's easy. So all we're doing is learning the same way we would be learning if we were coming into it in an easy time. The difference is we're going to learn a lot more, a lot faster. So, yeah. Yeah. So we decided to go for it anyway. Oh, that is really cool. And Pugs and Mugs, you guys launched it and then you canceled it and then you brought it back. You guys learned from something. Yeah. So, I mean, to be honest, it wasn't even so much that we, we canceled it so much as we, well, I mean, we obviously had to 
but we got so much feedback from so many people in the industry and also in like people who are fans of the game who basically went, this is really good, but like here are the ways that it kind of makes it really difficult to like, it's, you're going to have trouble funding this. And we were like, well, this is our first ever game. We barely really know what we're doing. Um, so, you know what, we'd rather do this right than stick to our guns. You know, there's no point in, in clinging to our ignorance as it were. So yeah, we rebooted the campaign and it was, it was so worth it. Like, you know, if, if, if anyone's looking to be a board game designer out there, absolutely just throw yourself into the community because everyone is so helpful and so eager to like give, you know, people will bend over backwards to help you learn what you need to learn in order to be a success. There's no real competition or anything like that. Everyone's just a passionate enthusiast, you know? Exactly. Well, and that's the thing I've mentioned it several times on this show before, but the community is just like, you're going to create a game that I love. So, like, you're not competition. You're going to make something I love. Like, Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's, to be honest, that was part, that whole attitude was part of what made me want to be a part of the design community and made me feel like I could go for it in the board game world because, you know, there was, there was none of this kind of corporatism it was all kind of everyone's on the same playing field and everyone's talking and everyone's like, yeah, how can we help each other get there? Yeah, um, exactly. And that's, that's such an awesome thing for any community or, or business of any kind. So, yeah. Yeah. And it seems so rare. I know a lot of other communities right? aren't that way. They're not really communities. Yeah. They're, I don't know. The important thing is the good ones are phenomenal. That's yeah. what's, you know, that's what's the important takeaway there. And, you know, when you find those amazing places that you're like, oh, yeah, these are just lots of really passionate people who are really, you know, who are really enthusiastic about finding different ways to have fun and get different messages or, or, or types of mechanics and stuff like that and experiment with them and play with them. And like, yeah, we're all just big adult kids who happen to <laughs> also make money from it. Like, <laughs> rock on. How would you not want to be in there? <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> uh, what are some of your favorite games? So my favorite game of all time is probably Robo Rally. Um, it's a Richard Garfield game. And I, I just, it's one of those games where you can't ever guarantee who is going to win at any point, not because it's like completely luck based, but because you can put down this amazing, in case anyone listening has not played or know Robo Rally, it's basically a game where you race robots across a factory floor with giant stompy machines or like lasers and all sorts of other stuff coming at you. You have to race from one side of the factory to the other side of the factory and you get programming cards at the beginning of the turn and you need to put these programming cards down, um, in front of you, face down, uh, of, you know, turn left, move forward one space, move forward two spaces, turn right, U-turn, all this sort of thing. And you put them down in what you think is going to be, you know, the correct way to be able to get from point A to point B. And you're like, cool, I have this random hand, I'll do my best with it, no problem. Um, But the thing is that everyone goes at once. So everyone turns over the first one. And so you might go forward one space, but someone who's like where you're going to end up goes after you and shunts you along by like one space to your left. And then all of a sudden, 
all of your next phases have to play out. So you're turning over the next one, it's like move forward two, and it's like, oh no, if I go forward two, I'm going to end up on a conveyor belt and start going off in a completely random direction. But you still have to play all your other cards. So you have to, your robot is just a dumb robot. It just keeps going through the programming phases. So you end up doing all sorts of nuts things. And it's just this brilliant combination of, um, of like, you're putting cards down to be like, yes, this will get me to where I need to go. And at the same time, everyone else's attempt at doing that messes everyone up. Um, and it's it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And I, I love the game to bits. Um, it's quite a uh, it's quite a long game um, because everyone ends up all over the place. But nonetheless, it, for those days when you can get it out, it's brilliant. So that's my favorite one. That is awesome. I'm glad you had it. Like, you had a a favorite yeah a lot of times it's like oh it's so hard to choose but no you know (laughs) i know (laughs) there is one certainty in this life and that's robo rally is great (laughs) oh i love it (laughs) what was your first game design like my first game design was a weird little thing that hit me like a bolt out of the blue i literally woke up with a fully formed idea in my head um and was just like i've just got to get this down right now um, and uh, it was a game called Argumentative, um, and basically it was a little. Um, it was it was it was basically just a, a deck of cards, um, and there were there were I think it was five different suits. There was um, uh, aggressive, passive aggressive, victim, obstinate, uh, and objective. And basically, certain argument stances blocked other certain argument stances. And your objective of the game was to get the last word. So if you couldn't play a card, you're out, effectively, trying to whittle down each person. But at the same time, in amongst the deck, you you have tensions rise cards where, effectively, when they come out, they have to be put down on the table. And so that stance now costs two cards instead of one whenever you play it. So it gradually locked off and made it harder to be able to progress. Um, but at the same time, each of those cards had like special abilities on them. So, for example, you draw an extra card or you... Um, force someone else to play an additional card or you you know you're able to ignore someone else's argument as if it affects you similar like that so it it was pretty good um i i don't know whether or not i'll ever release it but it was you know for a first for a first crack at a game it was it was it, it was pretty good fun um it certainly brought out uh in people a lot of harsh truths uh, as they looked at these argument cards, and each of them had like a, a, a sort of line uh, giving an example of that type of argument. So, yeah, basically you would have sort of an aggressive line that you would have to read out when you play the card, etc. And and a lot of people would sort of read these and go, oh, no, I say that. Oh, 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 that's me. Oh, God. Um, and then they, they'd go through these argument stances and just be like, oh, this is... Oh no! I'm seeing myself in so many of these cards. This is how I argue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was one of those things where it was like, this is this is fun and at the same time, disquieting. Yeah, kind of shine a light on yourself and be like, yeah, okay. Well, now I have to acknowledge that I have this toxic <laughs> or this like bad or well, it's just like yeah. I mean, they're normal things that you go through, but you just have to recognize it and, and totally. Just, so that's really cool. That sounds fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, it was a real... I think it was self-awareness more than anything that it brought out. Um, yeah. And, and they, were, they were all tactics. Like They weren't ever morally uh, presented 
in any way. You know, it wasn't ever like, this is bad. Um, you know, right. there are situations when taking on a certain stance is necessary, and that's fine. But yeah, it was, it was obviously all the phrases were overdone for comedic effect. Um, but nonetheless, I think shining through that was a, was one moments of, oh, actually, I'm, I'm more passive aggressive than I thought. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Do you take that into other designs as well? Like, I don't know, there's like a self-awareness to it. Like, do you bring that to your other games as well? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'm autistic um, and also have ADHD. So it means that in terms of communicating with people, that's something I both, you know, it's something that I approach from a very different perspective from most people. And as a result, I guess it means I've thought about it a lot more than most people might. So yeah, communication and the way in which we view how we are as people is something that really fascinates me as a whole. So naturally anything that fascinates me ends up being in a game. Um, (laughs) so it's it's one of those things where you have to balance out what i may find fascinating with what is actually fun you can have a you know a really intricate and interesting game on the surface that is like yeah the way this fits together is really cool but is it fun i'm not so sure like you gotta find that you gotta find that balance and if you can crack that awesome but it does not always work out yeah definitely have you had many that haven't worked out very well that you would care to share about (laughs) any designer is gonna come back and be like there are so many ideas i've had that the moment i put pen to paper i was like this is garbage why did i ever think this was good this was this was a 1am idea that did not turn around well you know, and I think anyone will have that. Um, but I think, um, oh, I'm trying to, the trouble is, is that when you have so many ideas, the ones that aren't great, you just kind of jettison. And I suppose there was one, actually, I had one called, um, oh, goodness, I called it uh, Uncharted Waters. And basically, it was a, it was a game about being pirates out in the middle of the South China Sea, except it was modern day pirates. So you had like sort of scavenged World War II tech strapped to boats and such, and you you sort of chased each other around and did missions and everything like this. Um, but to be honest with you, it was it, the biggest draw to it for me was the idea of this. Um, you had branching storylines for each mission. So the way that you approached a... Uh, mission that you had so let's say for example uh, you had a mission of you know, you're, you're pirates you're the bad guys you're doing for whatever for money so maybe you are going into uh, into it in order to I don't know you're you're looking to burn down some trees on an island to be able to allow a hotel chain to move onto it right <laughs> undercover little thing that they definitely can't get away with but you definitely can and you'll get paid for that. And maybe you'll do it by force or maybe you'll do it by smarts. Maybe you'll do it by, by um, you know, by social. Um, and depending on what you picked, you would gain a, you would take one of those cards and it would have an event that would play based on that. And so you you use your one of your crew to do a smarts event. Okay, cool. So you draw a smarts card. This is what happens as a result of you attempting this by a smarts. And then the next thing that comes on from it has to be either a social or a force one. Um, And so as a result, it kind of created a kind of branching storyline of events whilst at the same time making, how to put it, like it meant that you had to diversify your crew's abilities and such Mm. like that. 
and it was cool in theory. And then we played it, and not only was it really, really long, uh, but it was also just really difficult to have any idea what was going to come up at any one time. And so you were just never ready for anything. And so it was like, oh, I can't do that. Oh, guess I'm screwed. Next. Okay. And so it all just kind of fell apart. And Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things, really. But, but you know, the ideas that you take from, you know, that don't work out, you bring those bits into other games. You know, you... Yeah. Other ideas that you have, you go, well, this can work in this. Uh, and you just kind of, I don't know, almost Frankenstein monster bits that did work and <laughs> stick them into other things that do work. And then maybe all of it will work. And that's kind of <laughs> how that <Yeah>. happens. <laughs> that totally so, yeah. makes sense to me. And that sounds like a fascinating idea. Like, as you were saying that, I was getting excited. Like, ooh, I would play this game. But oh, cool. as you say that, it's like, oh, yeah, you are kind of losing what you can do pretty quick. And yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's it. And so it was really difficult to actually finish a mission because you had no control over what was coming next. And most of the time, the watchword for designers is uh, "when in doubt, make it simpler." And you know, I guess it's it's Occam's razor in a lot of ways. You know, you're you're cutting off anything that isn't necessary. Yeah. Um, and hell, maybe I will come back to that. Maybe it will end up being a you know, uh, something that, that works really well down the line when I have, when I have more, uh, notches of game design under my belt, but, uh, we'll see. You mentioned that your dad was the one that got you into board gaming. Mm -hmm. Have you gotten to play like a lot of your designs with him? Oh yeah. I mean, um, so my dad is Jasper who is part of the company. Oh, Um, awesome. Yeah. So he's like, uh, he's actually a, a pretty important part of, of this whole working of everything. And, uh, he, um, yeah, I mean, he's very enthusiastic about any game idea I come up with, even if they're terrible. So <laughs> we end up, he, is, he is my prime playtester, which I, I throw idea eggs at, and they either go splat or he catches them. So it's, oh. it, yeah. That's awesome. Cool. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's cool. It's, uh, it's, it's also kind of, you know, Re is my partner, and obviously Jasper's my, my father. So it's, it's very much a, a almost family-run sort of company, almost. Um, you know, I, that said, you know, Bob's awesome. He's basically family. In case you're listening, Bob. <laughs> He's the fourth wheel. <laughs> you need no, no. him, otherwise it's a tricycle. Absolutely. No, we need him for proper balance. <laughs> oh, that's really, really cool. I didn't, I didn't realize all of that, so cool to see the inside of uh of all that yeah uh how long have you and reed been together uh coming up to eight years oh cool so uh yeah it's it's been it's been quite a a long one but but going great very happy so yeah (laughs) all good hopefully you wouldn't say otherwise i mean it would make for a weird conversation yeah, I mean, I know she's going to listen to this, so you know, maybe, maybe when after the podcast, I can I can spill my guts about everything. Oh my god! But no, no, I'm joking. <laughs> Everything's all good. I mean, let's be honest here. You know, I've I've got a partner who not only is a whiz at social media, but also is uh, is is willing to play and 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 help design board games. I mean, could I ask for more? Yeah, exactly. I I enjoy what she posts on social media. I always see your company's posts and always enjoy them and and yeah so she's doing a great job she certainly is i mean we wouldn't be what we are without her um you know my 
as I say, I'm, I'm autistic and I really struggle with social media. I struggle with socializing in general that doesn't involve me being able to see someone's face, um, which makes it really difficult to do social media and that. And I often, when I'm posting, I often sort of say to her, like, is this okay? Is this, is this correct? <laughs> um, and, and she'll kind of pull me up and be like, actually, that, that's maybe not quite okay. Or actually, yes, that's totally fine. Post it. It's all good. Uh, nice. But I, I have to do that mental check. Otherwise, I, I am flailing in the dark. Yeah. Um, it's you know, good that she can do that and be that for you. That's it. That's yeah. it. I need to start doing that, passing it on to my wife and being like, hey, <laughs> is this okay to post? Yeah. <laughs> I do that with family texts where we'll be doing like a group text and I'm like, hey, Kimmy, uh, is this okay to say? It's a joke. And she's like, nope, don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. That would cause a lot of arguments. And that's mostly yeah. what I would hear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's move to Earth Rising. That's your guys' current project, right? Totally is. That's right. Yeah, we've been working on it for coming up to two years now. So, um, yeah, it's it's super exciting to be, you know, getting it out there and it's getting some fantastic reception. Um, yeah, I can't can't wait, to be honest, to get it going. Yeah, it's a beautiful game. Like, I love the look of it. I saw that... I could go in and play it. Uh, mm-hmm. I just saw that today. I wish I saw that earlier because then I would have done it before we, we chatted. <laughs> oh, well, if you fancy a game, I'm more than welcome to give you a game sometime. Okay. Let's just do it right now. We'll do it on the podcast live. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you might want, some, might want some visual input for that one, I think. Might oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, but I love the idea of the game and also that you guys are using it as like a positive message as well as putting your money where your design is uh, yeah. giving back to kind of fight. Uh, Absolutely. What's going on. It was actually really important to me from the get go that if we were going to release a game like this, um, that it was something that not only spoke about it, but actively actively gave people the chance to feel like by getting it, they were moving towards it. Um, you know, when you're, you know, if 50% of our profits are going to um, to the charities that are making this happen for real, that means that anyone who buys a copy is basically putting that money into making Earth Rising's aim actually happen. Yeah. Um, and, and why don't we talk, I didn't explain what Earth Rising was, and you'll be oh, able totally, to say it yeah. way better than me. So do you want to describe that? Totally. Okay. So basically, um, Earth Rising is... A, it's a medium weight uh, cooperative board game about transforming society into uh, a sustainable version, a sustainable future. You've got 20 years to do it. Um, and effectively, the society as it is, is putting a lot of strain on our planet and its ecosystems. Um, and if we utilize basically practices that are already in existence, no science fiction, nothing that hasn't been invented yet, things that we actually are already using uh, and have already been proven to work. And we put those into place in ways that they replace the things that are causing the problems. We're able to actually not just revitalize our planet and put ourselves back on a sustainable future, but on top of that, we're also able to make life a hell of a lot better for actual people. There are effectively two 
in quotation marks, problems in Earth Rising. One of them is strain that our practices are putting on our ecological burdens. Um, and the other is poverty, uh, which in turn creates strain. Um, and a successful game of Earth Rising will see you tackling both of them. So the sustainable, I mean, there is no sustainable society that allows poverty because ultimately any society that allows poverty is only going to increase it. Um, if you don't have a means in your society of getting people out of difficult situations, then they're going to end up staying there. And as a result, more people who fall into that position is only going to increase. So as a result, it's a kind of two, it's a two front problem because you need to deal with the practices that are, that are putting strain on our planet and you need to approach it in such a way that it doesn't make things worse for people. Because if you make things worse for people, you actually end up putting strain on through them anyway. So yeah, it means that all the, all the kind of the talking points of, oh, the only way that we're going to be able to uh, sort of approach this problem is by sort of going back to Gaia and, 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 you know, getting rid of all, all power and getting rid of all sort of like cars and things like that. It's, it's, it's nonsense. And, and Earth Rising is built on a foundation of science given to us by the very charities who are looking to make this stuff happen in real life. So it's all verified stuff. It's got an informational booklet that comes with it that gives details on why every practice is sustainable and why every flip side of it is unsustainable. And it's even got bits in it that says, what can you do on an individual level? You know, it's Earth Rising has basically been designed from the ground up to be the most empowering thing we can possibly make in the face of our current situation. That uh, is absolutely incredible. I'm tearing up because of just hearing <laughs> you talk about it. Like, literally, I was like, don't let tears fall right now. <laughs> if you start sobbing. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? It's a very emotional thing. You know, it's, it is. It's, everyone everyone is scared because because if we if we don't do this right it's only going to get worse and if if we if we keep fighting each other in order to like over over what is or isn't okay then all we're going to do is take longer and if we take longer more damage is done and it's it's only an intensifying problem and oh god when i first when i first designed this game this the origin story of this game is that it was back in 2019 um, and I was feeling super low about the whole climate crisis thing. It felt impossible. Uh, Extinction Rebellion was at its height. Everyone was talking about how basically if we don't fix this, we all die. Game over, man. We're out. And, you know, you go, well, we can't seem to do anything about it. So if we're all going to die, then how depressing is that, right? When the message is prevailing to be, um, if we don't, we die, but not how we don't, then it ends up just feeling hopeless. So I went to see a film called 2040, um, very much against my will. I was in a very bad mood on the day. Um, I did not want to go and see a film, but Ree was like, no, come and see this. It's important. Um, you know, we're going to go with some friends. You'll feel better afterwards. It'll be fine. Get some socialization in you. So I went to this film. Um, and it was called 2040, and it basically spoke about how um, uh, this Australian guy, Damon Gamow, I think it is, who had recently had a daughter uh, who was four at the time of filming, 
and was like, this whole climate crisis thing is here, but I am worried for my daughter's future. What can we do about it? Can we do anything about it? And will it be enough and will it be in time? And spoiler alert, the answer is yes. And one of the things it looked at was donor economics. And as you said, you know, how you were almost tearing up, I left the cinema in tears because it was the first time I'd actually had that kind of injection of hope into me. And like, I, I you know, I had gone from it's hopeless, there's nothing we can do about it to going, wow, actually, this has made me feel like we can do something. This has made me feel like it's possible. And more than anything, I wanted to give that back. You know, if I can pass that forward, maybe that will make a difference. And as I say, one of the things it was talking about was donor economics. And it's got this amazing circular um, sort of um, like imagery to it where it's, you know, uh, you're trying to increase the donut of our society inward to support more people and trying to take the outer sort of bit back in so it doesn't over encroach onto the different problem areas of our society. And it's a way of looking at your society from a top down perspective and judge and like valuing how much are we doing on which scales. And it just clicked in my head a little bit like argumentative, I suppose it just went boom, there it is. Um, <laughs> and no joke. I, I like went home and it was like four hours later and I penned out a, like a, a, a thing down on a piece of paper um, and it's not really changed that much since I've actually because I've, I've been on a few videos and things recently I've actually got it here I will show you you can see me obviously the podcast oh is wow hard. it this really doesn't look person. too dissimilar right yeah that looks so, a lot like what the board looks like right now yeah so it's pretty much the same thing like ultimately the the basis for it has held strong and um and, and I, I spoke with uh, I spoke with Damon, who made the film, um, and he played it and thought it was really cool. I spoke with Kate Rayworth, who made the donut economics uh, model, and she played it, and her daughter played it, and they were like blown away, and they were like, oh, I always wanted to make Donutopoly, but just didn't have the time. And I was like, well, here it is. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's... it's they they gave me even more insight into how it worked on an even like more exact level and like we spoke about before you've got to make sure it balances out with the fun yes um, it doesn't matter if you know it doesn't matter how accurate it is if it makes the game less fun um did you ever um, find that a challenge yeah i mean what you think is going to be fun is often wildly different to what it is in play um, you know, I, you unless you're going to outright take something from a different game and run with that, um, it's and even then, like that has to mesh with something else. You can't just have one mechanic for a game, and if it doesn't mesh right, then you know. But this is why it's so important to playtest, and even more importantly, blind playtest where you're not coaching them, um, and then you see how it really stands up. Um, but Earth Rising is designed first and foremost to be a game. Because if you lose people from fun, they don't take anything in. There's no point. Right. So if it's not fun, there's no point. So it has been it has been absolutely, you know, workshopped to hell and made absolutely sure it is the most fun it can possibly be. And it and you know, it's it's cooperative, it's a race against time, it's relatively simple to play, uh, but nonetheless you um, how you utilize 
what each other what each other player has and your your asymmetric abilities and the cards that come up and etc they really you know you have to think about it carefully and you've got to keep an eye on how much strain is being produced and whether or not that move will end up causing an ecological collapse or not it's it's a little bit pandemic in a few ways but in a much it, pandemic has all that kind of movement to it where you have to very carefully decide how you're moving in order to get to the right places at the right time earth rising doesn't have movement so much but nonetheless you have to be very conscious of what actions you're using and where so yeah it, it is kind of one of those games where if you like the sort of game that pandemic is then you're probably going to like earth rising too so yeah it's it's been hardcore made to be more than just its theme. Oh, that's incredible. Very cool. And Thank you. How have you guys focused on like reducing your impact on the environment with with your whole design, I guess? And I mean, even manufacturing, like we're not in okay. an industry that's necessarily super friendly to the environment. <laughs> I mean I mean click on click on sort of two out of three board games and they they have they have heaps of plastic miniatures and huge amounts of sort of like little cubes and and all this sort of thing and you know if you're if you're plastic conscious if you're waste conscious uh even to the point where like if you've got a card game and they've got a whole bunch of expansion packs often those expansion packs will come in individual packages and wrappers and everything like that and they'll all be split into different different sections and you'll go for an all-in pledge and then all of a sudden you've got like five six different boxes all wrapped in plastic and all all this sort of thing and you're like this could fit into one box and have a hell of a lot less but yes so it's super important that as a game about being you know uh you know changing that impact uh earth rising is effectively as impact free as possible so uh turns out game manufacturers are very unused to you saying to them what's the greenest stuff you've got um they they are sort of like okay uh well um we've got recycled plastic um and we've got uh i guess we've got recycled cardboard and that sort of thing um and some of the big ones are now getting a lot better in the sense they've got um oh goodness what's it called um ah it's actually sustainably produced wood and cardboard um for all of their stuff um, oh, and cool. it's got a proper certificate and all that sort of thing and also make sure it's definitely sustainably produced um, and yeah it's it's coming on it's going it's going in the right direction 100% but you need to ask for it so if there are any designers out there who are like well, I want to make sustainable stuff why is it that the quote that they give me is all just like a basic rundown so the answer is because that's the cheapest and they always assume that what everyone is going to want is going to be the cheapest so if you put the stipulation to them, I want this to be, you know, what, give me an, give me the cheapest, but also give me how much it would cost to make a game as ecologically friendly as possible. And in many cases, you'll see that the price is not a huge amount different. Um, it's like, uh, I don't know, maybe it might be 10 pence more, something like that, you know, cents even, sorry. And obviously that super depends on the game. But yeah, it, it's the... Pricing is actually not as extreme as you might expect. And we managed to find a manufacturer who does 100% sustainability. So that they even down to uh, the, the polythene wrapping that's normally around games, theirs is made of, I think it's seaweed, does the same job, completely breaks down within like weeks of being in a compost heap 
um, and yeah, is is just great. Um, all of their like inks and such like that, they're all um, they're all dye based inks, and so as a result, there's no kind of there's no uh, what's it called? Basically, there are no issues caused by the production of the dyes or anything like that. All the cardboard's completely sustainably produced. The whole thing is 100% sustainable. You know, we we had to go for that. It, so we we're super committed to getting that. Um, and we're even looking at the possibility of trying to get the game shipped via train. Because oh. obviously, there were no manufacturers that did 100% outside of China. But the offset to that is that in order to have things sent from China, they have to go a really long way. So we're looking at trains, because trains are much more eco-friendly than ships, which often use very dirty oil, and generally, because they're not on land, and so no one will see it, think that they can just dump whatever into the sea and get away with it. Um, and so as a result, like you, it, it really lowers how much sort of carbon is used in order to transport the, ship, uh, transport the games. We're struggling to get exact prices back, but nonetheless... You know, it's it's uh, we're looking at whatever means we can, and we're going to detail exactly what we do and how we do it, so that other game uh, designers can also come and find that information themselves, and get like and, and get that information. Help more people be able to do it easier, because I guess this is what Earth Rising comes down to, which is the hardest thing to get, whether it be sustainably making games or actually living a sustainable life or having a sustainable society is there is very little concrete information out there. Yeah. Um, and that is what Earth Rising tries to do. That's why we've got the informational booklet as a part of it and not as an add-on. Because that information is what makes the difference. People learning and people understanding what is or isn't and why, the, why that is, like with sources and everything. That's what makes the difference. Because an informed, an informed people is an empowered people. That is incredible. Very cool. Thanks so much. <laughs> That's all right. No worries. I could talk about this literally all day. So please do talk to me, like tell me if I am going on too much. No, no, that was great. I mean, is there anything else you want to touch on there before we move on to the next part? Goodness. Um, yeah, I guess actually on the subject of it getting shipped and that, if for some reason we can't do trains or we can't find another non-shipping based thing, we will be offsetting all of our carbon footprint uh via a um a very well known sort of carbon offsetting source called tree sisters who basically put the money into a combination of growing trees and also into uh pro equality uh sort of ventures so things that improve quality of life for uh people in impoverished areas um provide sort of anti-baby drugs i've completely forgotten the word contraceptive contraceptive that's the one. So <laughs> contraceptive providing plans, all that sort of thing. They they put they put the money into making those things happen. So even if we do end up having to put carbon into our world, we will put that back into things that literally forward the sustainability uh, goal. Very cool. Good to know. I'm just I'm blown away by how dedicated and because some of this stuff, you know, I wouldn't necessarily think about, or I would just think. Well, it's got to be that way. You know, like, well, you've got to use a boat to ship it around the world because mm -hmm. that's what it's always been like. Mm -hmm. uh, so I love how, how much thought you guys have put into this and trying to kind of counteract that 
your impact, I guess, on the... Yeah, I mean, in comparison to, like, bigger industries and such, the board gaming world is is small. You know, right. the f- amount of effect that we have on the globe is tiny. But nonetheless, it is, you know, if we can make a change here, that will in turn encourage other people to make change in other areas. You know, if they see that, well, if the guys in the board game industry can do it, then I guess since we have some kind of overlap in, I don't know, the book printing industry or something along those lines, then we can do it too. And it has that chain reaction. Um, Every effort is never a wasted effort. And I think that's something that's always important because even if just the fact that someone sees you're trying, it emboldens them to try too. Lovely. Well, what kind of hobbies do you have outside of board games? Totally. Okay, well... um, I, I'm, I'm a big video gamer, I won't lie. I'm really into sort of strategy gaming and such like that, which I suppose lends quite nicely into board gaming as a whole. Mm-hmm. But other than that, though, I, uh, I have a dog. Uh, his name is Tobin. He is, uh, he is a cryptid of an animal, a uh, ridiculous beast that I think I understand, and then he'll do something, and I absolutely do not understand him. Uh, but nonetheless... He's a ridiculous animal that we rescued, and I adore him. We take him on, like, hour to two-hour walks every day. Um, and, yeah, it's really nice that it's summer again, because now I can actually enjoy those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Other than that, though, uh, I come from a background of... I was a published author in 2015, where I published a children's educational fiction book uh, on the human body. Uh, where basically a pair of kids goes on a kind of inner space-esque journey through a little drone um, uh, through the human body and experiences everything that happens in it in order to learn about it. Um, And that was was a blast. It was really great fun. Yeah, so I, I come from a background of writing. And effectively, I guess I don't write as much as I used to now that I'm doing board games. But like the drive for narrative, the drive for... Uh, finding ways to portray things in a really interesting manner is something that I put into literally anything I do. Basically, if it has a story, you can you can count me in. Which actually, of course, I also do tabletop roleplay. Um, I'm oh, nice. normally the games master, and as a result, uh, yeah, I I am often the one making narratives. So yeah, <laughs> I love it. What uh, is there a favorite TTRPG? Oh, I think I would have to go with Fate. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's effectively a its a very bare bones kind of, you have four what are called fudge dice, and they have a plus, a minus, and a, a, like a circle or nothing on them. And you roll four of these for any action that you do. And so, for example, your skill might be strength, you're trying to force open a door, say, and maybe your skill is three. You roll the dice, and you might get a plus, a plus, a minus, and a zero, and so effectively, each plus gives you plus one to your skill. Each minus gives you minus, uh, minus one to your skill, and a zero is nothing. So as a result, you get a plus one to whatever it is that you rolled. The Game Master sets a difficulty level. So let's say, for example, I had strength three, and it, I needed to at least get three in order to get through. I roll my dice, and so long as I get all zeros or better, I can do it. Otherwise, you know, if I... if I get some minuses, but no pluses or, or more than that, then I'm like, oh, my strength is effectively two. And so it's really difficult to get through. Since it's literally that simple, it's, it's basically a very sort of bare bones kind of you can do anything with it kind of system. 
but my favorite part of it is the thing called consequences, where instead of someone taking damage or being hurt or, or getting freaked out or something like that, instead, someone will take a consequence in, instead of being knocked out. So if it's a low consequence, it might be like, oh, you get winded. So now someone can tap your winded thing and they gain plus two to their next thing because you're winded. And now they gain an advantage over you because you've taken that consequence. But the player who takes the consequence gets to decide what it is with GM approval, of course. So that means that everyone is involved in the narrative in a very strong way. You're deciding what happens to your character within the mechanics that have happened to it. If you get hit by a sword and you take only a minor consequence, well, that's okay. Like, it's just a minor consequence. Maybe it, it goes a little bit too close and you lose your footing. You know, you don't actually get hit by the sword, but you lose your footing and that's got you off guard. And then they can tap that and there go and hit you even, get you even more, you know? So it kind of has that joint, everyone's in charge sort of narrative flavor to it. And I love that. That is fantastic. That is really awesome. That sounds entertaining. I'd, I'd love to try that sometime. Yeah, definitely try it. Um, you can you can get fudge dice super cheap or alternatively just use online dice rollers. Like, oh, nice. Uh, Perfect. What yeah. about video games? Well, as I say, uh, super into strategy stuff. So um, 4X games or hmm. uh, well, what is it? Well, I've been recently replaying XCOM 2. That's a good one. I've always been a fan of Civ. Uh, I've always been a fan hmm. of the... Uh, oh goodness! I'm actually going to have to quickly really get my Steam library up. Um, <laughs> yeah, loads. I mean, basically, it's it's a case of either it has a really good narrative or it's or it's really strategy based. Oh, okay. um, and I will I will um, I will go headlong into that. Uh, exceptions to that might be that I used to play a hell of a lot of Borderlands too. Um, yes. But, uh, yeah, I, I I could not get enough of that game. But nonetheless, it's it's kind of in the past now. So. That sort of stuff, you know? <laughs> My wife and I are playing through three right now. Uh, How I, is it? I love it. It's. I think it's so good. Like, overall, everything's improved for the most part. Yeah. Borderlands 2 is still, like... It's top up. tier. Yeah, it's top tier, so... Yeah. Uh, That's cool. Well, to tie TTRPG and Borderlands, did you know that uh, Leader Games and Nerdvana Games made... Bunkers and Badasses. I did not. That's yeah. cool. So it's coming out quarter three is what they said. Um, okay. But we actually, I had a couple of people from Twitter come on and we played it as bonus episodes for this, for the board game community show. Amazing. That's so. awesome. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed that. No, it's it's fine. Go back and listen. It's oh, so I will. I will have to now get my <laughs> sneak peek. Yeah, it's fun. And I guess it, cause we got a, I got a demo for pre-ordering it. So it's like playing through one of the quests in there, which nice. was fun. And I, I game, I was the GM or they call it the BM, right? Okay. Yeah. That makes and, sense. Uh, and that was like my second or third time being a game master. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thrown in the deep end. How did end you find it? It was fun. Very, uh, they were really nice. Like the, yeah. the, you know, like, obviously, it's a small demo of it, essentially. So they kept on rails for the most part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but lots did of Did you make your own thing, or did you go with, like, a pre-gened, like, scenario? It was, yeah, they, it was one they had made. So, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, very rarely did I have to wander too much off of that. Every once in a while, I was like, 
that's pretty clever. Like I'm going to reward that and I'll just make yeah, it up yeah. as I go. And a lot of it was like obviously off book just because they brought something up and I was like, yeah, let's run with that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the beauty of, uh, of TTRPGs. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's effectively a game that has no borders. And so as a result, you know, if you, if you want to either run or be in a game that, that features a certain sort of type of thing, you can do that. You know, if you if you feel like this is a solution to your problem, it's not like it's not like Mass Effect or something where you're just like, well, I, I don't I don't need to like stroke this person's ego or punch them in the face. I can sort of there must be some middle grounds in here. Yeah, you, know, you, you can do that, and that's it's really nice that there's a kind of there's that outlet, I suppose, for people to explore stories and narrative from a position of being in control. Um, and I think it really opens people's minds to the possibility of how they can be a part of stories. Um, and I think that's one of the things I love most about board games and what drew me to it the most is that you can get that really nice fine-tuned balance of making your own kind of story and narrative and everything like that, whilst at the same time, sort of you're within the confines of a world. And that's that's really cool. And anything that I can do to kind of bring board gaming, authorizing absolute doesn't do this, heads up, but but nonetheless, <laughs> anything I can do to bring board gaming and TTRPG a little bit closer would make me very happy indeed. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But kind of tying the three TTRPG video games and uh, board games is like the illusion of choice. Have you played Bioshock? Of course. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the first one was essentially like the major theme was the illusion of choice. Absolutely. And I love that because like, yeah, you can have an open world video game that gives you the illusion of choice. And board games is the same way. Like you have all of these choices, but you're still like uh, constrained to the rules within the game. And and that's it. TCRPGs, they still have rules, but it's a lot more open because you're not based on like a well, you have a system, but but essentially like you have an actual person who can think through things and, and change things and, and apply them. Yeah. It's just And maybe one day as tech progresses, we will have like we will one day have video games where it is like having a human GM in your game that is creating things as you go, and that would be insane and I may possibly never come out. But that aside. <laughs> it was nice knowing you, Laurie. Yeah, I said, bye. <laughs> oh, wouldn't we? I mean, it doesn't seem all that far off anymore with how uh, just the development of technology and everything and procedurally yeah. generated worlds, essentially, like looking at Yeah, I was games. thinking that, exactly. Yeah, so wild. Mm. All we need now is procedurally generated narratives to be a little bit better than they currently are. Yeah. <laughs> You're walking down the panda and you meet a merchant. Wait, what? Exactly. So close. Yeah. So close. <laughs> yeah. That or it always, always devolves into porn. And it's just like, no, no, not again. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Curse you, AI. Uh... You shouldn't have been trained on Twitter. <laughs> Exactly. You've got to put the parental lock on for the AI to learn. That's it. (laughs) They're like, okay, 90% of what we do is this. (laughs) Uh, uh, Anyways, uh, that was was great. Yeah. Is there, uh, as we wrap up, is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? One thing I probably would say is uh, if anyone out there is thinking about 
making a game or is thinking that they are looking to in some way get involved in in like you know uh, making some idea that they've had come to reality or whatever no idea is is like no idea is perfect on your first go it's so worth getting involved with people in your community and getting feedback and everything from even the earliest design point i think this is one of the mistakes that i made really early on with my games was going oh i'm just going to work on this and then when it's done i'll start sharing it because you you think you're done and then you show it to a bunch of random people and they go this is really good here's all the reasons why it's terrible um and and you're like, oh no! I I thought this was this was perfect. This was my baby. This is this is amazing. I've worked for like a year and a half on this game, and it's just ah, oh, what has happened? Seriously, don't worry about what people will think of you because the board game community, by and large, is super lovely and friendly, and generally just want to make things more fun. And so, just get involved in communities. Start start showing your stuff to people, no matter how unfinished it is, no matter how bare bones it is start showing it off and going, hey guys, what do you think? How can I make this even better? Because nobody wants to steal your idea, but they do want to play it. I think that's so interesting because I remember when I first started designing some games, it was like, I need to keep this so secret that so that nobody else will steal this. And it's like, yeah. no, nobody is interested in stealing your yeah. game idea. Like They want you to make it so they don't have to make it. Exactly. That's it. Oh my God. If anyone thinks that bo- making a board game real is by any stretch easy or cheap, <laughs> please, like, like if you've got a way, let me know because <laughs> God, ah, oh, the pain that I've been through these last couple of years. I, you know, if anyone asks why I dye my hair blue, it's because I have so many gray hairs from making board games. <laughs> um, you know, it's, this- Makes sense. That's smart. (laughs) (laughs) It's tough. It's tough out there. And you may as well make life easier on yourself by surrounding yourself with people who are really interested in having fun with what you're doing. Because having fun is the point. And the moment you stop having fun, the moment there's no point. So just enjoy yourself. Make your game fun. Show it to people. Let them help you make it funner. And that is, that is how you do it. Lovely. Well, during this whole time, did you get distracted? Did you think about a ridiculous theme? <laughs> oh, a ridiculous theme. Yeah, okay. Um, I did actually think about a ridiculous theme. Yes. And, and his, you know what? I, I had a little idea in the back burner of my brain being like, yeah, that would be so silly to make. And then my brain being what it is kept going and was like, yeah, but you could though. Right. <laughs> so here's an idea. What if we turned the game Katamari into a board game? Okay. Oh. So if anyone hasn't played Katamari, it is basically a game where you are a tiny little, almost almost dust speck that is rolling around a little ball that's everything that is the same size as it or smaller sticks to. And you're rolling it around, you're collecting up bits and bits and bits and bits, and you're trying to make yourself bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually you're rolling up like buildings and then you're rolling up like skyscrapers and then you're rolling up countries and continents and then the sea and all sorts of stuff. And you get huge and ridiculous. And I, I gotta say, uh, the more I think about it, I'm like, actually that, that sounds ridiculous and also a great deck builder. Yeah. Oh yeah. That would work for a deck builder. 
That's it. Like a kind of engine building thing where you're sort of you you're trying to get the small bits and then with those small bits you can cash them in for a bigger thing and you're trying to get the biggest one until eventually like someone hits the biggest card type uh first. And you could even make the cards be like larger sizes as they go up in order to make it legitimately feeling like you're building your your katamari even bigger. Um and so yeah, yeah. That's, I was like, that's a ridiculous idea, and this is how it could work. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's the fun thing uh, with ridiculous theme is that you can think of anything ridiculous, and you don't necessarily have to flesh it out, but sometimes the brain starts working on it. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I got to, like, look around my room. <laughs> I'm going to – what is it? What's that? Soze? Oh, oh, Kaiser Soze from The Usual Suspects. Yeah, exactly. That's I'm going to Kaiser Soze this. Yeah. I won't deny that probably finding a ridiculous idea isn't very easy when you're surrounded by genuinely good board games. I know. I'm like looking back there. I'm like, okay, <laughs> don't look at that. because <laughs> <laughs> They're all good ideas. I don't want those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mug maker. I've got a mug. <laughs> <laughs> mug maker. Mug maker. You got to go for alliteration, uh, right? Yeah, that's it. Right? Yeah. So... I mean, with with that idea, that's that seems that seems pretty straight up to me because you've got that's that's all about uh, ceramics, right? Yeah, exactly. You're making your you're making your mug on a wheel. Yeah, and you've got to keep on spinning it. And then at a certain, you've got to add a little water to keep it pliable. And that's it. I, I think I don't know. I've never made a mug. <laughs> <laughs> at a certain point, it's got to go in a kiln for so long. You don't want to over bake it i think i need that's to know. maybe there's some there's some push your luck mechanics in there you know do you do you keep it in the oven a little bit longer in order to get that that nice finish or, or do you accidentally t- leave it in too long and the whole thing cracks exactly. oh, no. oh. <laughs> or you know maybe it cracks but now it's harakiri Ooh, ta-da <laughs> <laughs> that was more valuable even better <laughs> oh well thank you so much for coming on uh, do you want to plug your social medias, any projects you've got coming on? Do you have a date for Rising? All that. Uh, yeah. So um, basically we have a Discord channel where you can come and talk to us. Um, and if, of course, I can't really plug a, a link. But nonetheless, we have a Facebook, um, which is SDR Games. Uh, we have uh, Instagram. We have Twitter. We have, in fact, come come follow me. I say random things that are definitely not allowed by the company. So my Twitter is is Laurie J Blake. Um, the company handle is at sdrgames underscore studio. The Facebook is sdrgames.studio. I mean, do you have links and such that you can, like, are you able to put links in your podcasty bit? Yeah, yeah. So I was going to say, you can check the show notes and I will have the links for the Discord and I'll put the Twitter handles on there and every, or social oh, media handles on there. I'm, I'm being a dunce because basically what I should have said is all of it is available via our website of sdrgames.studio. Yes, which, which I have pulled up right here. I could have thought of that too. <laughs> <laughs> all of our info is there. The, the, the social medias, the Discord, the whole lot. The, join our newsletter. You'll get uh, a whole bunch of updates surrounding how Earth Rising is going and future games as well. Yeah. Come talk to us, get involved. We would love for you to join us on our journey because we're only just getting started. 
Wonderful. Did you have a date? I thought I saw June 1st was the date, but that's not it anymore. Yeah, it's not it anymore. So uh, basically, we were looking at June uh, because we wanted to keep it relatively close to when our uh, original Kickstarter kind of um, uh, got relaunched. And the reason it got relaunched is because we got an offer that allowed us to seriously lower our goal by like, uh, I think it was like 8,000 pounds, something like that. So a huge amount. So we're now going to have a much lower goal. But we okay. couldn't edit a goal on our, um, we couldn't edit a goal on a Kickstarter. So we had to relaunch. Um, but now we're getting a lot of people coming out of the woodwork being like, Hey, I love your game. I want to help you make it a smashing success. Uh, but in order to get you there, I need a little bit more time. So, for example, your good self, we would not have been in time to be able to be on this podcast had we have launched when we did. But, yeah, we're effectively creating a big old snowball of events and, and reviews and all this stuff to help us really smash it out of the park. And we're looking at early August. No, sorry, late August or early September. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Nerd Out With Us. And if there's a guest that you think would be good for the show, you could at me on Twitter or email me the board game community show at gmail.com and request that either you or somebody else you know or want to know better in the community uh, be on the show and I'll reach out to them. Earth Rising is launching on Kickstarter August 24th. So they just announced it earlier this week which is very, very exciting. I really wanted to play it before the episode actually came out so I could give them a glowing review at the end, but I ran out of time. I wasn't able to between vacation and other things. I still really want to dive in and play it before the Kickstarter starts, but the next best thing happened over on Organized Fun, organized with an S, Phil and Mark played Earth Rising with Re and Lori, and they loved it. You can hear it in their voices how excited and how fun the game was and how much they enjoyed it. So so that's, that's saying something a lot because they are like extra critical on Kickstarter games. I can't count how many times on their podcast where they're like, oh, this was a Kickstarter game. Like, I can tell it's a Kickstarter game. But they were very, very excited about this game. And I'm very excited about this game, uh, not just because of the actual game looks awesome, but beyond that, just what they are doing, what they're trying to change, and, and just the good. You can tell they genuinely just want to help out the board game community and and the world to make for a more sustainable world, more sustainable living. And I absolutely adore that and love that. So please, please, please go check out their social media, go check out their website. All that's in the show notes. The episode with Organized Fun is in the show notes as well. So go check that out. Really, this is such an amazing project. I'm really, really excited about it. If you enjoyed the episode and enjoyed the show in general, I would absolutely love and appreciate a review. Uh, You know, five stars is great. If you can write up a short little review being like, oh, Riley, that guy's a weirdo, but it's great. 
it's a good show, good enough. You know, I would appreciate it. Whatever you want to say, if you want to appreciate it. And if not, I just appreciate you listening. Until next time, keep nerding out.